All right. Well, hey, welcome to the Frankincense Podcast. This is Bobby. And this is Jared. We are here. Um, episode six. It's crazy. It's, it seems mm-hmm. like it's flying by really quick. It's flying by, and we are back in Elkins, which I'm glad for. <laughs> I, I like being here. I think this is the quintessentially West Virginian city. Yeah. Uh, which I want there to be a perspective of West Virginia. You know, a, a lot of this podcast grew out of us uh, just having these opinions and wondering who else in West Virginia. Uh, what maybe are seeing things from our perspective or similar have similar points of view yeah and um so we are here um at my house you might hear a dog in the background barking he's in the garage because he's a puppy um just barking like crazy doesn't like being crated um so it's fun this is just a good podcast but you know what's really cool though is we have a special guest um a good friend of mine I used to work with him when I worked at uh, World Vision Appalachia. We worked for the U.S. programs. My friend, uh, I would call him a brother, um, Ray Nelson. Hey, Ray, how you doing? What's up, folks? Man, I'm glad to be on tonight. Jared and uh, Bobby, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it's good to have you, man. It's going to be a fun conversation. We, um, we're hitting on a hard topic, a heavy topic, a topic that... Uh, that not very many people want to talk about, or, right. at least, or at least when they do, they want to keep it in, behind uh, keyboard warriors. But um, <laughs> but you know, that's uh, we're, we're bringing it hot. We're bringing in the hot take um, on Frankincense podcast. So uh, glad to have all of us together. But today we're, t- we're we kind of introduced it last episode. We're cut. We're going into several different hard topics that the church needs to address, the culture needs to address. Um, and the first one we're going to talk about today, uh, racism, <laughs> racism in America. Yes. Because I've, I've maintained for a long time and I think most, most, most historians would back me up on this. Uh, America seems to have its own special brand of racism. It's like a caste system that we invented. We, by we, I mean American people going back into, you know, it's earliest times, uh, a caste system that we invented, uh, which today we just think of as like this, you know, as race, but in reality, race doesn't exist. However, and scientifically that's been proven. However, uh, America, American culture still operates a lot of times as if it does because the structures are there, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. so we brought, um, yeah, absolutely, you know, and I think, you know, that, that structure and that system as you, as you spoke of, Jared, I think that's something that, um, you know, really kind of hits the heart when we talk about racism in America and, you know, this this being a place of liberty and freedom, but yet there's still so many hearts that, uh, that are keeping people in bondage. Right. Um, place of freedom, and, and the irony has always been that, you know, slavery was legal from the beginning, you know. And uh, when people talk about how America was built, it's it's important to remember uh, that it was built in in part with slave labor on Native American land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm just gonna drop it, you know, yeah. out there. Yeah, I think um, to to bring it kind of a perspective, I went to uh, Jamestown recently uh, with my family. We went to you know just walked into Jamestown, kind of you know historical landmark, you know, out um, in Virginia. Um, yeah, Virginia. Yeah. Jamestown. Anyway, sounds right. That's right. So, 
God, I don't know why. I, my mind just my mind just went blank on like where is that? It is like it's historical. Virginia, holy cow. Gotcha. Anyway, we're going to Jamestown, right. and um, <laughs> and we go into uh, kind of like walking through history, right? We go in and we're, we're going into ships and we're going into this thing, and and they show a video, and in the video, um, they tried to kind of sugarcoat what happened with slavery, right? It was like everybody got something out of it, <laughs> and I was like. What? <laughs> As I'm watching it, it was it was a real kind of video of um, they they brought over the African slaves to work, and then basically, you know, at least they they got out of the um, the turmoil of, of where they were living, and then they brought it into the, to to help settle the the people and to build, and um, they had places to stay, and and then they ended up getting educated, and I'm like, and as I'm watching, I'm like, how much of a sugarcoating job is this one? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, it, it's like don't don't try to make this seem like it's an easy thing for 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 us. You know, it, it should it should never be. It shouldn't be something we we look at as simple. Um, and for us as as a culture as a society, and um, we're going to be getting into the church. Uh, what does it mean for us to acknowledge um, the pain? That was caused by um, slavery, by by systems that were put in place that that actually uh, hurt and caused more harm to people of color or people mm-hmm. of the minority status. Because um, what, what's what's really interesting about this right now is that um, I am a Hispanic male, you know, with um, uh, if anybody has heard my comedy show with Mexican tendencies, right? Like I'm a, I'm a I come from a Mexican family, right? Um, yeah. And then Jared, Caucasian, um, and you know. It's not like he came from the land of Caucasia. I don't know how that ever happened. Do you want to know? Okay, yeah, tell me. this gets into this will get into something. Uh, sorry to dominate this with my <laughs> no, go yeah. Ahead. Okay, so uh, <laughs> so in the 1800s, uh, they were really looking for science to support uh, already um, held beliefs in in racism. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and and they didn't call it racism, but they had they had uh, um, by they I mean um, Western civilization. European and American culture had this idea that race was a real thing and that some races were probably more evolved than others. Hmm. And so uh, one of the leading scientists uh, was European and he decided to classify uh, the races and uh, he came up with like three major races uh, and I, I hate to say what they all are but he named them mongoloids I think for Asian the Asian race of people mm-hmm. and then a third of the world was negroid and I forget what uh, um, I forget what the other one was called but uh, I may just have been Caucasian but he had determined that um, the people of the Caucasian mountains uh, in Europe uh, and you know and these are some some light-skinned blue-eyed people um, blonde-haired people sound familiar, you know. Yeah, <laughs> like like basically the Aryan race. Yeah, he he had decided that these were the most beautiful people in the world, and therefore the most advanced. And I'm telling you, like European cultures and American culture bought into this very quickly because it already um, it already s- supported beliefs that that they wanted to have, which basically justified helped to justify slavery and also genocide of Native Americans, right? Mm-hmm. And we know now that that was pseudoscience. None of this is, sci- you know, in fact, you know, famously, there's there's only one race, the human race, you know, as the sportscaster said, yeah. you know, um, but uh, uh, there's only one race and all human beings are, you know, over 99% the same, 
you know, and so there aren't subspecies of humans. Um, so in a weird way, even for white people to call themselves Caucasian, mm-hmm. they're being white supremacist without even knowing it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Wow. That's deep, man. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm taking that all in because that's, that's, okay. that's a heavy piece. I, I think that, um, so, wow. So when we think about ultimately what's, what's going on um, in culture today, in society today, uh, you know, Ray comes from a more urban um, community. Um, am I right on that, Ray? Would that, would that, that's fair, right? Oh, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. To be fair, everywhere is more urban than where you and I are right now. Elkins, <laughs> West Virginia. Very true. Yeah. Very. I'm talking like suburban Pittsburgh is more, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. We're not anywhere near any kind of a big city. So Yeah. It, we go into um, Morgantown, and that's more urban. I like to refer to that as urban. Oh, that's, a, the, that's the big city. Yeah. It's a mixture of rural and so, urban in that yeah. place. But, um, but yeah, so, so, but for Ray, you know, he has a different. Um, obviously a different take on what what's being seen mm-hmm. um, especially from a primarily African American culture um, area that he lives in and then from me <laughs> I live in a white West Virginia and but I've also grown up in um, in a community of rich upper um, upper class white people and so trying to figure out how to how to fit into that mold you know how to how do I maneuver through society and that and having to sit through racial jokes and racist jokes and mm-hmm. sometimes have to play, play along with the racist jokes um, because if you don't then it's kind of like oh you're one of those Mexicans that we can't joke around about oh, you know? no. um, so I had, to, I had to play along and to a point now where it's like man I feel so bad that I did you, that you laughed at some things uh, just to get by get through the day and yeah. now you regret you yeah. know, not saying something at the time. You mm-hmm. know, oh, I believe me, I've, you know, yeah. I can relate to that. So I wanted. So what we're going to do now is we're going to kind of talk about um, what are we seeing, what are we seeing in the church? Okay. How is how is the church viewing it? What's happening in uh, Ray? I want to hear like what are you experiencing and how, wh- and how do we start bridging that gap? Right? What is I mean, like okay. not not us individually. Like we have roles as individuals, but what can we be doing as 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 more people, as the church, um, what can we be doing to start bridging the gap? Does that make sense? It does. So, so let's talk. Let's talk. Yeah. Um, yeah well, go ahead. I, I just think that um, first of all, I mean, I, I salute you guys for having this conversation, and I think this is kind of where uh, the church capital C uh, has a responsibility to actually begin and to facilitate conversations around issues of race within the body of Christ. Um, there's, there's, there's one thing to experience racism. There's another to experience it from folks who claim to know the unadulterated Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Folks who, who claim to put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and an inclusive God uh, and build an exclusive kingdom. And I think for my experience with issues of race growing up in an all African-American community, uh, I think it was in fifth, fourth grade, fourth grade in, in, in elementary school, where I, we had our first kid who didn't look like us, and he was a uh, El Salvadorian, Salvadorian kid, Pedro, who became one of our greatest friends and allies in the hood. Um, he and his family moved into our neighborhood 
around fourth grade. So that was probably around 1984, you know. Um, and so my experience with racism was was like what Jared said earlier, was looking at kind of um, friends who lived in the suburbs, family members who lived in the suburbs, and noticing that they were experiencing something totally different from us and had no idea that the structure and the system that we were kind of living in and experiencing was intentional. And so it wasn't until I, you know, went to college. When I went off to college, my first year in college, that's when I had, like, my first white uh, male friend, you know. And so other than that, I had no dealings and experiences with anyone else who didn't look like us because the community was was predominantly African-American. The folks who owned stores uh, were Asian. And to a certain extent, they became family um, in our neighborhood. Uh, some did, some didn't. But the issue of race, as I began to work with young people and I began to understand the system and how it works and, and, and the haves versus the have-nots, I began to really, it, it opened my eyes to this idea that, wow, maybe this is something deeper than just uh, people are lazy, uh, people don't want to do anything with themselves, or, well, they just don't have because they didn't do X, Y, Z. They didn't dot the I's across the T's. Yeah. Okay. And so as the church, I've always felt like my ministry was to be a bridge, right? Um, that, that, that was young people, from the young people to the seniors or the seasoned folks in the church, the church to the greater community. Um, our church was an old African-American traditional church that was, that was still doing church as a, as a slave. You know, I think we still kind of had this slave mentality. We would sing it every MLK day, you know, we shall overcome. But then we would just kind of go back to business as usual. And it wasn't speaking up against issues of race. It wasn't building a bridge or um, a bridge of reconciliation. Uh, and I heard uh, my friend, uh, Mark Charles, who is a uh, Navajoan uh adjunct professor, theologian, man, this guy, this is a wealth of knowledge, uh, calls it uh, conciliation. You know, he, he says reconciliation is great, but at the basis or the heart of it, is it, are we really reconciling or are we, con- what, what are we doing at that? And I, and I don't know if the church understands what it needs to look like. I don't even know if we've been segregated and separated so long with issues of race I don't even know um, if if we're even um, thinking in terms of you know what would this look like? What what does that absolutely look like? Even if we look through scripture, if we look through the heart of God or the lens of God, what does that need to look like? And I and I don't know if we we we, we we're there. We we still have our segregated um, moments throughout the week. Uh, Sunday is the most segregated hour of the week. Yeah. But, we still kind of operate in these pockets where it's kind of like, well, they're not bothering us, so we're ignore it, you know. Um, and so I don't know. Anyway, it's it, I appreciate just being a part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah, I think that actually kind of sets us up though, because um, the the Baptist church, right? Yeah, the, well, the Southern Baptist yeah. Seminary. Um, they came out with something that sort of prompted this. I mean, this is where we were heading at with the podcast anyway, because these are some some big issues that I see now. I get sort of frustrated just seeing people live as if uh, race is real, and you know, as Ray said, I just it it it's like a we've been so segregated for so long in so many ways, and even in the church, mm-hmm. you know, that you wonder like 
what is it going to take, you know, yeah. <laughs> to, to really get people together and, and, and see that. But anyway, um, this, this sort of came out, uh, this, uh, this letter from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And um, that's, not a, that's not a church I attend, church you attend, I, I don't think, Bobby. Um, but uh, I'm always interested in what churches are talking about. When this came out, I thought this was neat because it was very frank about uh, this particular church, the Southern Baptist Church uh, in America, like nationwide, um, their, their role in um, promoting slavery and segregation uh, and... and uh, Jim Crow laws and uh, racial caste systems throughout the history of America going way back and it's very much like it, it sort of reads like a this is what happened and, and I like to think it's it's a bit of a, a confession um, you know it says things in it it's got these points it says like number one I'm reading from it now the seminary's founding faculty all held slaves um, you know, number two, the seminary's early faculty and trustees defended the righteousness of slaveholding. And it's important to think that, you know, people, um, it, so it, way back in America, it's like we connected uh, racism to our Christianity, really, to, to justify what, what we were doing. And, uh, you know, and you go all the way down to connect what I just talked about, you know, um, looking for uh, science that would actually support this. Um, they actually, you skip all the way down to number 11 in this in this publication. Uh, this is online. Anybody can read it at southernbaptistheologicalseminary.edu. Um, number 11 says, in the 19th and early 20th centuries, the seminary faculty appealed to science to support their belief in white superiority. The faculty believed that science had demonstrated black inferiority, and they were convinced of the superiority of white civilization and that this justified racial inequality, and it goes on a little bit. And that's, uh, and that's something that they're admitting to, and, um, you know, and we now know that's all fake science, pseudoscience. By the 1950s, you know, uh, they, had, they had started to, to really realize this, and by the uh, 2000, I think it was 2000 or 2001, the Human Genome Project was complete. Mm -hmm. So if you, needed to have, if you needed to have all doubt eliminated that all human <laughs> beings are, you know, <laughs> the, same, the same species with no subspecies, it right. was proven. And so yeah. we've known for so many decades that this science is fake, and yet we're still living sometimes as if it's true. And um, it was nice to have one church that was basically founded on the idea of permitting slavery admit that they had done this. Now, yeah. now, rightly so, uh, you know, um, Reverend William Barber, um, he's a guy I read a lot. And, um, you know, I, I, I have to, for me, to get different perspectives uh, in the world, you know, uh, growing up in a predominantly white community, uh, I have to look at people like uh, Reverend Dr. Barber, uh, you know, to be to be like a, a, a the voice of a black leader for me. And he said in response to this letter, uh, if white evangelicals want to atone for racist past, they have to stop practicing slaveholder religion in the present. Hmm. And he hmm. and that was that was uh, uh, that was an amazing thing to read. That's on his Twitter. Um, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, a person who, who wrote a book uh, um, about um, you know uh, reclaiming the gospel and ending slaveholder religion in America, retweeted that. But I saw that and I was like, okay, they have to stop practicing slaveholder religion in the present. And he's right. It's not enough to just confess and say, well, let's let the past be the past and move on. It's like we have to end the racial structures now. And what I'm thinking is it's 
nobody else is going to do that. The government's not going to do mm-hmm. that. You know, mm-hmm. people aren't just going to magically do that. Television's not going to do that. Right. Stand-up comedy's not going to do that. You mm-hmm. know, so I'm just like the church has to do that. So the church has to be the place where everybody's equal and we're and we're acting like you know this this racism crap. Uh, it's it's got to end. Yeah. You know when I it's interesting though because. Um, we want to talk about the, the most segregated hour, right, is when we're in church on Sunday, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and when we think about that, though, isn't it interesting how you can go to a football stadium, right? You can go to a sporting event. Everybody is next to each other, shoulder to shoulder, high-fiving each other, celebrating. Because why? They have, a common, they have a common bond, right? Yeah. And for some reason, I feel like the church... The common bond should be Jesus and his unification, his, um, you know, the, the process of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation that Paul calls us to, um, the, the idea that we have a, a connection with our creator. That should be our, our unification, our unifying point. But for some reason, we've created this um, an us versus them mentality in the church, in the body of Christ, where... Um, you don't worship like us, so we really can't have you here. Go mm-hmm. somewhere where you can worship like like your people, right? <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. I mean, because yeah. that's what happened. That is and what so, happened. Yeah. So when I like, so when I think about like, like I like I love I love hearing the term black church, right? I mean, I always hear about black church. I'm like, man, okay, that's awesome. I'm so glad that, I, like, to say it, like, I'm so glad black people have a place to go worship. And they could worship freely. But I also feel heartbroken that there has to be a term called black church. Because there shouldn't be that. Like I, it, yeah. it should never be that. It should be church where, where we have the different cultures on stage saying, let's hear from, let's hear some, some black gospel music, right? Where you like, just like, let's hear some, some, some some hymnals that that bring something out of your culture and let's bring it into the body but the thing is there's a discomfort in that right because because we've created this um for so long it's well this is how church has always been they're doing it differently over there let's go ahead and we can watch on tv and like we can we can like oh man look at them they have rhythm we don't right um it, it, sorry, white people. Yeah. I mean, that's just. I mean, we, we, can you just can you just own that? Um, no, we know. We know. <laughs> but but when you, but it's like you know, man, they can they love the rhythm, they love the tambourines, they love all that stuff, and that's amazing. But when it comes to it entering their worship section, whew, wait a second. You know, that's the tension, and that should have never happened, but it's been allowed. And so now, what we're seeing here is saying, okay. The and the, what do you say? And the slaveholder religion, right? The slaveholder religion is yeah. That's a, that's an us versus them. Which it's a yeah, and that's a term by the way that came from the appendix in uh, Frederick Douglass's book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and yeah. he he pointed out that uh, there was a huge difference between actual Christianity and the slaveholding version of Christianity that's practiced in this country. So that's mm-hmm. where that term comes from. Yeah. And so the. The the so let me just sorry let me just say this real quick because I think that what what can happen is, and this is where I think a lot of people get f- afraid because when because this is what I think that is happening here is that the the Baptist letter, um, is that it can be a little bit, 
I, I want to say condescending, but that's not even really the right term. That I, it's like a, you know, we're, we're trying to make up for, you know, it's a, it's a, we're trying to make up for our our mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go ahead and just kind of say that this is what we dealt with, but. Um, you know, oh yeah, we love we love black people, right? And we hear the yeah, we love you, you know, like oh, I have black friends, you know. It's it's yeah. like when you meet somebody, like I have a, I have a black friend. Okay, that's awesome. I don't know who that is. It's not right. you know, oh oh, you're Mexican. Oh, I had an aunt who was Mexican. Oh, that's awesome. I don't yeah. know who she is. She's not my relative. Like, good thanks though. Like, I, yeah. I don't know. Is that supposed to break a connection? I don't think so. Like, like learn about me. Build 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 a connection with me. Learn my story. Understand my story. Understand how now this letter is great, but understand what your belief about slavery really did to me yeah. and my people. Because once you do that, that's where you start building that bridge. Because now you're trying to understand me. You're trying to really say we want to know who you are. We found out what we've done, but now how do we really start to know who you are? And this is where like our table conversations and things need to be happening. Mm. But anyway, Ray, you were gonna say something. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I I love that man. I think you know there were also some seeds from that. Well, I, seeds were planted, but I also believe that at some point those things blossomed, right? So if you look at like the context of certain communities. Right now, in right here in Washington, D.C., we're dealing with gentrified neighborhoods, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So neighborhoods and homes that were owned by predominantly African-American for years. In fact, my grandmother purchased our childhood home in 1950, right? So now the, the person who lives in our childhood home is white. The next-door neighbor is white. And it's probably maybe about two or three elderly folks that are left on the block. Most folks have died off and because of the drugs and the violence and everything else. Most people either locked up or, you know, in the grave. Some have some redemption, redemptive stories where God just kind of rescued life and, you know, all that. But when you think about the seeds of, like, that evil, right, and, I, and that sometimes we, we war with each other about this kind of these issues of race and, and not even understanding, like, the, the spirit behind it, right? And I do believe that, like, you're, you're Mexican for a reason. I believe, Jerry, you're white for a reason. I believe God created me black for a reason, right? And I think that's special in terms of who God has created us to be. But it's like what you said with with going to a sporting event, you know, or, or going to, you know, I've, I've seen West Virginia, you know, in fact, one of my one of my closest high school friends played for University of West Virginia, Jerry Porter, um, back in the day, and played also mm-hmm. for your Raiders. Yes, you know? he did. Um, and so, I, so I've, I've, I've been around kind of the excitement of the stadium and folks and cheering because we all got on the same color, right? And I think with us as the church, we have in so many ways forgotten the color that we all are. It's almost like we have on the wrong color, right? We're leading with kind of the what people can see on the outside, but it's really kind of that God thing, like really, I just want to know where's your heart? Like where's your heart? And for me to understand, I was watching Lock Up and Raw and all these shows before you guys, before we called me tonight. <laughs> and I'm binge watching on Netflix. I love Lock Up. And I love, I love hearing the stories. It helps, it helps me to develop this sensitivity and compassion to these individuals, black, white, pink, and purple, for the experiences that they have have gone through. And you see kind of the seeds of where I didn't have this and I didn't have this growing up, and you can see the impact of that life and it's kind of the same thing when we think about issues of race my role and my responsibility in the seat that i sit in on the bus is not necessarily to point out all of the faults but it's like god how can we be 
how can I be a bridge of hope to like mm. stand in the gap and sometimes being a bridge, you know, you guys live, live in a rural part of the country, but to travel, you got to go down the highway and you've got to go over a bridge. And sometimes that bridge, it needs maintenance. It needs, you know, uh, there's some problem that we're, we're just going to have to demolish the whole thing. Let's create another avenue, create another route. And so I think that's us as people. If we're really serious about who God is calling us to be as, as a body of believers, then we've got to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to stand in the gap. And I'll, I'll be willing to take those hits and to take those shots and, 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 and to keep standing because I know ultimately it's, it's God who's protecting us and, and providing for us as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's good. So when we think about bridging the gap, right? Because um, you've got to step into the gap. So now you're stepping mm-hmm. into the gap. Now, now, what does that really look like? You right. know what I think is a good place to start? You know, you were talking about you liked hearing these these different stories of people from different perspectives. And I think a big thing for me has just been getting to the point where I realized I need to listen to other people's voices, you know. You know, I need to listen to women. You know, I need to listen. I just started getting into, like, podcasts and reading books and just books by black authors, you know, because I knew that I needed to hear those voices unfiltered, and I need to get that in my mind. I needed to get that in my blood so that I'm starting to understand, and I don't have to see everything from my own perspective, and I don't have to fight to to hold on to that perspective, fight to, to feel like I'm right or something, you know, that if I could at least start to listen to other people... That to me has started to to pull me over to understand some things that I didn't understand before. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. It's like it's like being married, you know. Yeah. Sometimes I, I gotta surrender my will to be right to love. You know, I can't win every every uh, debate or discussion or you know trying to figure out. Okay, well, at the end of the day, I was right. Right doesn't always mean right in a sense, you know. I rather love this person and, and understand, kind of listening. And I think mm-hmm. that's something too. Like we, we as humanity, do a poor job of listening. I this thing years ago. I shared this with some of our kids, Bob, with our deaf kids. Mm-hmm. I said, listening, listening, listening is a faculty, but hearing is a skill. Hearing is a faculty, listening is a skill, mm-hmm. right? So it's like it requires. Yeah. When, I, when I'm listening, I heard what you said, but when I listen to it, it causes me to break it down. And it, it, it almost challenges me with a responsibility to absolutely do do something with what I, with what I heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah, and I listen, I got to call out uh, white people for a minute because what happens is – so if we're in the majority, okay, then sometimes when we hear somebody else say – uh, I'm not being treated equally. Since we haven't experienced that personally, there's a tendency to just ignore it. Not maliciously, but just to say, nah, that can't be true. Mm-hmm. And that, that happens way more. Than, and I think that's what you got here with um, people just, you know, not opening their ears to something. And, you know, it got to a point for me where I couldn't say, listen, this entire group of people, I can't tell all of them that they're wrong, mm-hmm. you know? I got to listen to that, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think that when we think of, you know, to, to look at how, again, to, to bring it into perspective from the Christian perspective, right? When we look at scripture as a whole and we see God's work in humanity throughout 
culture throughout. Like he broke down culture barriers. He broke down societal barriers. When Jesus entered onto the scene, that's that was his key, right? He he, and, and we always go to the woman at the well, right? That that was his. That was the moment of racial connection, you know, of where he sat with a woman, and that was a big deal. And she was a Samaritan. That was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like that was, you know, he, he was saying, "What what am I gonna do? I'm gonna sit where they're at, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not expecting her to come to me. I went to her. Yeah, I sat at the well where she was coming to." I listened to her. I, I, I heard her brokenness. I yeah. shared with her that I knew her story, right? Like what this is what I mean, Jesus knew her story. We can share the things that we have heard, the things that we've experienced, the things that we know, but we want to hear from from them. Say like, okay, look, well let tell me. Like <laughs> this is what I know, this yeah. is what I've experienced, this is what I see on TV, this is what Fox News tells me, this is what CNN tells me, this is what all these people tell me, this is what this is what my president tells me, this is what these different groups tell me. Mm-hmm. What do you tell me? Yeah. Tell me about you. And then with that, yeah. let's go ahead and bring our community together because that's what happened at the well, right? Yeah. The community came together around this woman and they said, did. let's go and we're going to go find Jesus on this. Yeah. We as a people are supposed to be this. Mm-hmm. We are supposed to be people who go to the well, sit where the people are, figure out their story, help them and, and, and let them know that we're here to hear their story. Mm-hmm. We aren't here to condemn them. We aren't here to, to, to tell them to become something different, that they need to be like us. Oh, yeah. We, That's the problem is people want people to be like them, to yeah. basically change change the culture that you know, and that's not what it's about. You should be able to have your culture and, that's, and, and the, be in the body. Yeah. You know. That's what happened. I mean, like when you look at, to go back to Jamestown, right? That's mm-hmm. what happened. It was like, you're going to come over here, but you got to be like us. You got to mm-hmm. look like us. You got to work like us. And then at the same time, because you're a different color, because you're a, a lower race, supposedly, um, we're going to make you be under us because we are better. We are the we are the stronger of, of the group. Yeah, like, listen to us. We got mm-hmm. it, you know, and that paternalistic, you know. Right. And it's like, and so what happened was instead of hearing, they just kind of said, this is what we're going to be and this is what you're going to be. When we come to the well... When we sit with the people, when we come into their community, when we come and listen to their story, we aren't telling them to be like us. We are saying we are coming to hear and know who you are mm-hmm. and how can we be with you. Not like you. You're not like me. But let's be with each other. Let's mm-hmm. figure out how do we live in this world together and how do we start building our communities up again? How do we start saying that we can walk alongside of each other to create difference, to create change? How do we do this and how do we do it well? Yeah. And what has to happen in the church is start saying, what what social structures, what structures have you allowed to infiltrate your your church body that has kept out different cultures and different people that are, that people who are different than you? Mm-hmm. What what are you, what kind of music are you are you limiting yourself to? What kind of preaching are you limiting yourself to? Who are you filling your pulpit with? Are you putting people of color into your pulpit? Are you allowing that? Um, are you allowing? For um, a different understanding of of um, who of teaching and 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 lessons in that regard, um, you know, it, there's a whole lot to it there. And when I think about, um, got this recorded back on for some. I got my got my baby boy joining us now, so this is a little bit behind the scenes <laughs> kind of picture here. But um, but so when we think about what's going on in the church, we have to think about the the pieces that we put together that are in place, that are hindering people of different color, different cultures, different races, different whatever, different backgrounds to come into 
the church to come into where you're at and realize that they have a place mm-hmm. that realize that they have a, a welcoming place that they have people who are saying come around the well right come around the well let's chat let's understand each other um and we have to start breaking down those things and that's so hard because that's the sacred cows right yeah those are the sacred cows that we have to start to kill off and 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 that's it's difficult but it's necessary especially if we want to start to accomplishing start to begin accomplishing racial reconciliation. Yeah. We want to say, start restoring what the church could be, restoring communities, restoring people's dignity, honoring people and their differences, and, and figuring out how to really be who we're called to be as the church. Yeah. 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 And, and we, we, we do a bad job as a church, capital C, of looking at someone's circumstances to wait in the whole body. I think you, 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 you touched a little bit on that earlier. And I am all to my, my black folks, man, in terms of how we portray ourselves. Um, a lot of these realities that are really not reality. Um, and a lot of uh, how we portray ourselves around the country and around the world is so it's damaging because people, when they see you or view you, they, they try to, they relate to you as if that's you and that's your life. Um, it could be, you know, because of hip hop or whatever, and a lot of stuff is not even real hip hop. It's like candy stuff. Like all this stuff that's out now is not the true message of like hip hop and the origin, how how hip hop originated. That not telling stories of, you know, saying the the issues of race or the grind, uh, you know, all those types of things. And so I'm always challenging my own people in terms of like, yo, how are we portraying ourselves, and not necessarily because I'm looking to. To get a response from other people on how they view us or well you know i'm not also the type of person I'm like well it doesn't matter what people think well to a certain extent it kind of does but for your own self dignity like to have some dignity because of who god created you to be and because of who you are in the the family of god you know i feel like I, i'm in the position where i'm like yo i'm sick of this watching this stuff man so i'm, I'm pushing back but i'm also saying hey we've got to create those tables and and not not sugarcoat and act like there's not any real pain there you mm-hmm. know what i'm saying because sometimes yeah. like we'll we'll have these we'll have conversations about race the prime example so the church where we're serving right now landmark church alexandria virginia we celebrate in um three years uh as a church plant and the pastor is a former Young Life guy. Well, he said from the beginning that he wanted to create kind of, he wanted to be intentional about creating a, uh, a leadership team that reflects the community, right? Reflect yeah. the greater community. And so we have a, a diverse leadership team where we're not only just saying, okay, we want to come together because this looks good on our website, mm-hmm. but to say, you know what? We can learn from, from each other's differences, we can learn from some of the mistakes or some of the things that we've done in our past, some of our past experiences, but how can we bring our differences together for the cause of the kingdom yeah. so that, and, and you know, some people say this like, well, we're practicing now, if we don't practice how to get along now, I don't even think like we'll have we're like an issue of racism in the kingdom of God, like. I don't even know if our eyes will be able to see like, oh, he's black, he's white, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. <laughs> but in terms of like, no, we're not practicing because 
because first of all, we we're supposed to be modeling what's in, ha- in heaven and in heaven. The kingdom of earth comes here. Amen. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. It's yes. not like we're not practicing. We're we're supposed to ma- manifest it now. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Man, that's good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I think, uh, man, that's. I think that that's the part that I think a lot of people are are missing, right? Is that we have a responsibility of doing it now, like doing it right now. Mm-hmm. We cannot wait until, well, you know, when we, uh, when we all get to heaven, right? That that's, right. that that song. It's like, uh, uh, sorry that you just had to hear me sing that, but but the reality is, like, um, you know, soon and very soon, I'm going to see the King, right? Okay, that's awesome. But what are you doing now, right? Right. Because right now is where we're supposed to be living. We're supposed to be living right now because, as you just said, like the kingdom has come, right? right. The kingdom has come. And yeah. so we are the ones who are supposed to be living it out and living it out well. And how are we doing it? And right. That's why it says that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right. We have a role to play in that. And so um, you know, ultimately what has to occur is conversations like this, Right. Where people are just honest about the pain that they're dealing with, the struggles that they're going through. The church can't be so awkward about that. About that, it's like, oh, um, well, how about we have a small group and talk about it? Nah, I mean that's great, but how about the church as a whole start saying no? Like, we aren't going to stand for this. We aren't going to stand for separation anymore. We aren't going to stand for division. We are going to be the ones who speak up and say that this has to change. We have to be the ones that say that we are going to create the change necessary. And we have to be the ones who are vocal about about restoring hope, dignity, mm-hmm. and and really being the people who are bridging the gaps that are necessary. Because if we were doing it in the church, wouldn't that get noticed? I mean, yes. wouldn't wouldn't we be a city on a hill? Mm-hmm. You know, people would start looking at that and go, "Whoa, look at this!" You know. Yeah, I mean the church is is breaking up, you know, um, uh, just tons and tons of negative history, and actually finding a way to move forward, that would be a light to people. So, and those are the cries of the children to remind everybody. Yes. <laughs> hey. So if you heard Bobby's, uh, if you heard Bobby's kids, well, uh, but go ahead. Well, you know what's spectacular about that is. You know, I watched my kids. My youngest is, is uh, 18 months, and I'm sure you guys, I thought I heard him on the video. But, you know, I watched these kids watch each other. Mm-hmm. You know, like we were out, we were out at Ann Pizza, you know, local pizza parlor here in, in the area. And I'm watching him. You know, it's an Indian kid. It's a white kid. It's, and it doesn't matter to him. Right. But... When they catch eye contact and the way they look at each other, it's just phenomenal. Even yeah. when they're on like television, we're going to be watching something on TV, Netflix, or whatever it may be, and the commercial comes on, and it's like all of my kids just stop. And the way they look at each other, and they just kind of hear, like, you know, maybe it's that kid language. But I think that's the other thing, too. It's, yeah. it, it, it's in our language, you know, in, in terms of how we, how, how we, how we speak. But also how we understand, and I think that goes back to our, our conversation earlier in terms of, you know, as we grow, we create kind of these uh, these uh, walls mm-hmm. based on things that we probably never even experienced, but it's things that we've even seen or read or mm-hmm. or heard, you know, um, especially about 
certain cities and certain communities. We hear certain things about West Virginia. Well, we're not going that part of West Virginia. You know, so we, we've already kind of demolished kind of this, this table or this bridge that helps to build us and bring us together. It's, it's phenomenal. But like, like we said earlier, looking at, you know, a sporting event, but also our kids. And I think, I think the hope for our church, capital T, may be in the kids. Yeah, that may be it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah, and that's it. And uh, I guess that's it. You know, you wonder what do we do? You know, because the idea is it's it's for the kids. So you know, I found myself as a father um, being a little bit um, you know on the fence about what do I teach my son and when about the history of America. You know. And um, sooner or later, he's going to see that there is racism out there. You know, I don't want to shelter him from that forever and sort of whitewash the past and make him think that there was this sort of rosy past that we could get back to um, and everything would be great again, like everything was perfect in the 1950s or something. You know, uh, I don't want him to. I don't want him to believe in that myth you know but at the same time i don't want to fill his head with everything too young because i want him to be out there sort of experiencing you know uh just all the diversity of people and not feeling like there has to be something there so it's like where's the line between you know and raising your kids like where is that time where it's like you 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 very gently show them that those walls have been put up and they're wrong without accidentally putting up the walls for yourself with your kids you know Mm. Because uh, little kids, yeah. little kids do get together, and they will be friends with each other until something the adults do teach them to ruin it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so you don't want to ruin it. But then when they get to be like where they read and they watch movies and they say, "Dad, why did that happen?" Mm-hmm. You know, and for me, it really started with my son finding a graphic novel by Art Spiegelman called Mouse, uh, which oh, is yeah. about it's about his dad's experience surviving the Holocaust. But the, I gotta, I can't, I can't shelter my kid from the fact that there was a Holocaust. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I don't want him to, uh, to, to start to think that there truly is something different between a Jewish person and a German person, because they're, they're really, you know, it. There's not. It's all, constri- it's all social construct. Yeah. We, we act as if it's there, but. Yep. So he's he's very gently like come into that, and I think a big part of it is that he could always um, he could always meet real people and not just stereotypes of people in movies and books and on TV, but that he could meet real people and have real friends. Yeah, yeah I think there's a lot there's a lot to be said about that whole thing, especially as as my son is chiming in here. Um, but the there's a lot to be said around the idea of. Um, when Jesus is talking to the to the people and he says, you know, you cause one of these little ones to sin, you might as well tie a millstone around your neck and jump into the lake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it's, when we think about that, uh, our next generation, you know, our, our children, they have to be raised up to understand that th- the only thing that, that can be different about people, <laughs> quote unquote different, is their understanding of Jesus Christ. Right, I mean that that's that that that's that's the that is the only it from from our perspective, right? Is that that's the only difference, quote unquote, is that we're all sinners, 
We all need hope. We all need help. We all need a savior. But there's the people who have said that they want to accept that offer and walk with Jesus and those that don't. And it doesn't make us any better than them. It doesn't make us above them. It just means that we've walked into a relationship with our creator and we see that the only issue inside all of us is the brokenness that is that that is created separation between us and God. And until we accept Christ, that separation exists. But once we walk with Jesus, the separation no longer exists. Our role now is to introduce people to Christ. Yeah. And how do we do that? We love like Jesus. Right? Yeah. And we love all people yeah. like Jesus. There's no separation yeah. that's occurring with our love with Jesus. Our love with Jesus unifies us with everyone. Because when he came into the picture, everybody was brought back together. Everyone was restored. When the church was started, what happened? Different languages started coming. The the languages that nobody could speak, now all of a sudden they can. Why? Because God said, I am bringing unification to my people. So my story can be told. So my gospel can be heard. And when we create separation, that means that we have two different gospels that are being taught. And that is not the case. We have one gospel, and that gospel is supposed to translate worldwide, not just in America, not just in white America, not just in black America, not just in certain pockets, all across the world. And if it doesn't translate in the, where you're at, then it's not the real gospel. That's the truth. And so when we have a gospel that preaches segregation, that's not the gospel. We have a gospel that says it's only for your culture, that's not the gospel. When we create a, yeah. a superiority complex, that's not the gospel. Right. And so how do we start teaching that? Well, our young people have to, have to see us demonstrating it. Mm-hmm. And so when my, when my kids see me hanging out with, with people of color, and they also see me hanging out with, um, with white people, they're going to say, oh, okay, um, that makes sense to me. My son, in a, in, a, in, in a curriculum that we're doing for homeschooling, which made me kind of question the curriculum we're using, but... In one of the pictures, it had a, um, it was a picture of two different years, like it was like nineteen fifty something, and then um, and then like two thousand or something like that, like I think or two thousand ten, and it was said, look at the different school pictures, right? This is what was going on at this school, and this is what was going on at this school, and it showed that in one picture it was all white people, and then another picture it was the white people, black people, Asian people, brown people, like it was all mixed in there, and my son picked up on it. He, he's six, you know, five years old, going to be six. And he said, um, why aren't there any black people in this picture? Mm, okay. And I said, and I had to talk to him about that. I said, because at one point in time, they didn't allow black people and white people to be in the same school together. He, and he was like, that's sad, daddy. Why would they do that? And then he even told me, he said, he said, were they people who, who were Christian? Like, did they believe in Jesus? And I said, well, yeah. And he's like, but Jesus tells us to love everyone. And I'm like, Praise God that he's getting that. And he that, gets it, yeah. That he's getting it and that, you know, I mean, I'm not going to pat myself on the back, but my but my wife and I are instilling that in him because he understands that all people are welcome. All people. And so for us, the, that's our responsibility, is that we bridge that gap by doing that, or teaching our young people, by demonstrating it ourselves, having conversations like this, and really just being active and saying we are not going to allow our young people to believe that separation is supposed to exist because when we do that we're causing them to sin might as well throw a millstone around our neck and jump into a lake what a good point so 
That's deep, bro. So with that, um, yeah, man, this is a good conversation, and I think that uh, I think we can we can probably come back around this some other time. Yeah, but I think um, for the sake of time, we didn't solve it. We no. just oh, no. we did, we just talked about what can be the beginning of solving. Yeah, what can be the beginning of solving? It's yeah. it's having conversations like this. It's getting people around the table. It's creating conversation, and it's and it's really creating some change. And and it's and it's humming. It's humming in the background with a, with a baby in your lap. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. But um, but hey, Ray, we normally close out with some final thoughts, man. And um, so. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give my final thought and I'll let you uh, I'm going to let Jared and then I'll let you close out with the final thought and then we're going to end this thing yeah you're going to close it I'm real bad at the final thoughts because Bobby usually says the best thing ever and then I'm speechless that's, that's not really true <laughs> but but my fa- but my final thought in all of this though is um, the, the thing that we need to do if, especially if we want to live and love like Jesus we need to start having the conversation and we need to start breaking down the barriers that have been set up by society, by culture, by the things that we built in the church. We need to start being active yeah. in it. We need to go sit yeah. by the well. We need to start caring for the least, the lost, the broken, the oppressed. We need to start hearing stories, loving people in their stories, and walking with them in their stories. In order for us to really be who Jesus called us to be, we need to start sitting with people who are different than us, not judging them in their difference, but listening to them in their difference. And learning from them and their differences and realizing that we're all the same and ultimately we're all made by the same by the same being, God, the ultimate creator, right? And so we need to be walking in that. So that's my final thought. I'm gonna let you guys continue and then um, I'm gonna come back in in a second, but I need to get my kids off to the side because they're about to make a lot of noise in a second. So Jared, final okay. thought. Yeah, I better not go last. Uh, but I'm gonna piggyback on what Bobby said in a good way to uh, a good way to um, start listening to other people uh, is. Uh, and if you think that everything's been great in America all along, then I'll say you have some you have some history to go back into. And so a great way to start listening to people is uh, through literature. So read narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass. Read Booker T. Washington. Uh, read Their Eyes Were Watching God. Read um, read The Color Purple, the greatest American novel ever written. <laughs> uh, read that. Uh, read uh, the entire I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King Jr., not yes. just the last part that says I Have a Dream, yes. but the stuff where he talks about <laughs> police brutality, uh, where he talks about how, uh, you know, the, the check has bounced, you know. And talks about equality, um, and then listen to some modern people now. You know, uh, get on Twitter, uh, li- and if you're Christian, listen to those pastors who are preaching uh, in churches, and you know, listen to pastors' uh, podcasts by by black preachers. You know, listen to that, and listen to as many different people as you can without thinking of your argument on how to argue back, and just listen, and maybe get some different points of view. That's my final word. <laughs> No, that, that, that's great, man. I think you guys summed it all up. You know, the only thing I would add is, you know, I would, I would challenge, I challenge myself and challenge others, man, to, to, to become uncomfortable. You know, I think I know all of these, the, the conversation around issues of race, and it can be very uncomfortable and I get it, I understand it, but I've always wanted to challenge myself to uh, become uncomfortable. And I think the church capital C has to become uncomfortable as we begin these conversations so that our voice, our voices will echo. And so I thank you guys, man. I appreciate being on here tonight. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely great having you, Ray, and uh, glad we can have all these different perspectives kind of coming into the picture and just sharing our thoughts and sharing our perspectives. So, again, Ray Nelson. Um, hey, Ray. So you have an LLC. Um, it's a. You, tell me just real quick, brief, brief understanding of what that is, so people who've listened to the end of this thing can can uh, grab onto what you're doing and and how they can follow you, find you, that kind of thing. Yeah, cool, man. So I'm, I'm actually the City Life Director for uh, Youth for Christ in Washington, D.C., uh, um, leading a holistic movement, man, working with young people from 11 to 19 years of age, um, that they become agents of change in their communities. And so I love it because, you know, we're not beating kids over the head, but it's holistic in a sense where we get to speak into their lives and to see people uh, develop into in, whoever God is calling them to be. Um, you can find out more information at citylife.org. Uh, YFCDC.org is our, is our website, YFCDC.org. Um, and I'm also just kind of, man, I love what I get to do and speaking to young people and, and kind of traveling the country, man, and just kind of speaking in kids' lives. So, you know, I just, I'm, I'm grateful, bro. Yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put the links in the show notes so people can, can track you down that way, and I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to pump you up that way. So. Because uh, I believe in what you're doing. I believe in what you're doing, and uh, I value our friendship. Um, definitely appreciate your your work and uh, who you are as just a person, just a cool dad, cool leader, just a man, just trying to figure it out, man. And I love it. So thank you. That's it. Hey, likewise, man. Bless you guys, man. Jared, nice to meet you, bro. Nice to meet you. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, Ray. You have a good night, man. All right. You too, guys. All right. All right peace. Bye. All right. Well, hey, that was our conversation. I'm, I'm so glad to that we had Ray on here with us. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. So, hopefully, you listen to this whole thing, um, or at least coming back to listening to this whole thing. Definitely, uh, it's a good way to continue. Just start the conversation. Just start the conversation around race mm-hmm. and inequality, and how can we really be people who bridge the gap? And um, you know, look around you. Mm-hmm. You know, and so. Find out, you know, get your friends, get the get the friends around you that are that are different, and just keep building yeah. on that. I think uh, the conversations are going to be great. Bring it here, bring that conversation to West Virginia. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with that, hey, um, thanks for listening to Frankincense Podcast. This is Bobby. This is Jared. You guys have a great rest of your weekend. Bye. <laughs>